0: Good morning, Hope Jersey City. It is good to be with you this morning. Today, I'm continuing our series called Emotionally Healthy Church. The basic idea of this series is that if we want to be people who are spiritually mature, then we also have to be people who are emotionally mature. And in doing this series, we're we're admitting that Christianity historically has not been very good at talking about emotions. Uh, The Christian tradition lots of times has insisted that uh, feelings are worthless or untrustworthy and that you should just rely on reason. I even think that in the traditions of Christianity that do emphasize emotions a lot, I'm thinking of certain kinds of Pentecostalism, they tend to only emphasize certain emotions and in certain contexts. And what we want to do in this series is say that the full emotional spectrum has been created by God and is to be redeemed by God. And I think this series is really timely for us, too, because all of us have emotional struggles and baggage that we need to work through, first of all, just because we are human beings who live in a sinful world and interact with other human beings, but also because of what we're going through, especially the events of 2020, a a global pandemic that has hit many of us really close to home and and increasingly clear revelations of racial injustice in our country. And even though it's been a new year and it's 2021. These two realities are still very much with us. And I think it's even more appropriate given the events of this week. I think we were all really saddened and disturbed by what we saw on Wednesday when a group of, of, of a riotous mob uh, broke into and occupied the Capitol building and it was horrifying to see these, these people who were in there and they were carrying, at, some of them were, were carrying Confederate flags or wearing Nazi paraphernalia. There is deep trauma in our country that we need to address. And because of these things that have happened this week, this sermon that I'm about to give, the whole idea of this sermon is that Um, that we have pasts that significantly influence us. And if we want to be emotionally healthy, we can't just dismiss those things, but we have to look them straight in the face and give them up to God and deal with them. And the sermon really focuses on our families and how our upbringings and our family of origin have given us this, this emotional baggage that we often need to work through. But this is... This is an idea that doesn't just apply to us as individuals, but it applies to us as a nation as well, and it applies to us as the American church, that we have to reckon with our past if we want to move forward. And we can't just say things are good, things are new. We have to have a serious conversation about about what we're bearing if we want to make any forward progress. But with all of that said, let's get into the text for this morning. Our passage is from Exodus chapter 32, beginning with verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it and read with me. Exodus 32, beginning with verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come! make gods for us who shall go before us as for this moses the man who brought us up out of the land of egypt we do not know what has become of him aaron said to them take off your gold rings that are on the ears of your wives your sons and your daughters and bring them to me so all the people took off their gold rings from their ears and brought them to aaron he took the gold from them and formed it in a mold and cast an image of a calf And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, go down at once. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. Okay, so here's what's happening in this text. Right now, the people of Israel are out at Mount Sinai. Moses has led them out of Egypt, and and all the things you saw in the movie Prince of Egypt have, have basically happened, right? The ten plagues have happened. They've crossed through the Red Sea, and now they are at Mount Sinai. And Moses is up on Mount Sinai talking with God. He's receiving the Ten Commandments and he's receiving other laws that God is giving for the people. And what happens is after Moses being gone for a few days, the people of Israel look around and they say, what, Moses isn't here, what should we do? And they gather their gold jewelry, melt it down and make a golden calf and begin to worship it. See, here's what's happening here. The Israelites have made it out of Egypt, but Egypt hasn't made it out of the Israelites. Even though they had been redeemed and rescued by God from their slavery in Egypt, they were still suffering from the effects of their enslavement. Their desires, their values were still impacted by what they had experienced in Egypt. And here's the basic truth that we see, and the the main point of my sermon is this, that we reflect our past, but God redeems it. We see here the nation of Israel, the people are still reflecting the past that they lived in Egypt, and we do the same things. Even though it's easy to say, I've been saved, I've been set free, I've been made a new creation, our past still radically and significantly affects us. And we need to reckon with it. So there are three action steps that I think we need to take in order to to live into this truth that, that we reflect our past, but God redeems it. And the first step is we have to diagnose the problem. We can't fix something that we aren't aware of. So we have to understand how we've been affected by our past and we have to, especially to be emotionally healthy people, understand how we've been affected by our families of origin. I think there are a couple different ways that we could possibly think about how we've been affected by our families of origin. First, we could we could think about the messages we have received. In whatever context you grew up with your mom and your dad, with a single parent, with your grandparents, with whomever, you received messages from your caretakers. What were they? Maybe you received a message that said you should never be weak. Maybe you received a message that said education is everything. Maybe a message that you must achieve in order to be loved. Maybe a a message like, don't be sad. Things could always be worse, and you never were able to deal with sadness. Maybe the message you received is that you should make a lot of money. Maybe you received a message like, don't trust people. They will always hurt you. These messages that we receive when we're young, impact us deeply. And if we've been taught that people will hurt us, then we will live a life where we're unable to open up to other people and experience true community and relationships. What are these messages that you've been given? Another way to maybe think about these idea of messages we've been given is to think in terms of categories. So I'm just going to list some topics and, and I want you to think about what are the messages that you received in your upbringing about these things. What were you taught about money? What were you taught about sex? What were you taught about conflict? What were you taught about grief and loss? about expressing anger, about family, about relationships, especially romantic ones? What were you taught about attitudes towards other cultures and people who are different? What were you taught about success? What were you taught about feelings and emotions? It's a lot to think through, but I think we would benefit if we really took the time to identify what are these things, these messages that we've received, and how are they impacting us today. Another way to diagnose our past isn't so much to think about messages, although we should also do that, but is to think about events. What are those major events that rocked you or your family these earthquake events that changed everything perhaps these events were was a divorce maybe it was a situation of abuse maybe some sort of premature or sudden death or loss some other shameful secret that was revealed maybe some family conflict or drama. We've all had these events. How have they shaped who you are now? As a a personal example, when I think about this, the the major earthquake event that happened that I think I'm still emotionally wrestling with was, was my parents' divorce. And there's one story that really captures it well. I think, I think I've told this story once before in a sermon, but it was, I think it was like two and a half years ago. So, there was one time when I was about nine years old. My parents um, split up, and my dad moved out when I was about five, but my parents didn't get divorced till I was about 12. So, I spent most of my life without my dad living in the home. He'd come by sometimes and take us out to Dairy Queen or something like that, but... For the most part he wasn't around. So this one time when I was about nine years old, I was really excited because my dad was going to take me to this lake and we were going to spend a father-son weekend with just the two of us. Uh, we'd be canoeing and paddle boating and mini golfing and just a father-son weekend at the lake. So he comes over to my mom's house. He picks me up and we start driving away. And as we start driving away, uh, my dad says to me, Devlin, we're not actually going to go to this lake. Instead, we're going to go to Florida. I was living in Georgia at the time. And stay with a friend of mine there. I didn't know it at the time, but I later found out that the friend we were staying with was a woman that my dad was having an affair with. So we start driving down. And when we're about an hour away from the destination, my dad tells me this. And to understand this, you have to realize my dad's a little bit older. Uh, My mom was his second wife, so he's significantly older. We're about an hour away from the destination. My dad turns to me and he says, Devlin, this friend of mine doesn't know that I have children who are your age. So while we're there, don't call me dad, call me grandpa. Now, in the, in the moment, I was a nine-year-old kid whose dad was telling him to do something, so I just kind of said okay. But looking back, that was a horrible experience. And one that I still feel like, in many ways, I'm working through. You see, it's kind of funny that I'm giving a sermon on an emotional, healthy church, because I'm someone who just doesn't have a lot of emotions. On the Myers-Briggs test, on the the feeling versus thinking, I'm very much a thinker, a high thinker. There was a time in seminary where I was really worried that my emotions were just totally broken, and I spent some time with a professional counselor working through it, and I don't think that's the case. I have trauma I need to work through, but uh, God just made me to not have a ton of emotions, and that's okay. But this event with my father caused me to shrink within myself and those few emotions that I did have became even harder for me to express. And as I've grown I've seen how it has made me someone who who isolates and someone who suppresses my own emotions And see, the thing is, there have been many times in my life, I think, especially in high school, where I would tell my testimony and I would tell this story about my dad and I would end the story by saying that even though I had an earthly father who rejected me, I have a heavenly father who will never reject me. And that's true. That's very true. But I was using that Christian platitude as a way to not address the real emotional pain And we have to address that. So now I'm in a place where I'm trying to work through that. As an example, this past summer, um, Courtney and I were planning our wedding. And there were lots of things about planning a wedding in the summer of 2020 that was really difficult. And uh, we we had to significantly reduce it to just immediate family members in the bridal party from like 150 to 30. We had to make a lot of changes in order to get married during the pandemic. And there was one day in particular where I found out that one of my best friends who I wanted to be, one of my groomsmen, wouldn't be able to make it because of travel restrictions. Uh, And it was so difficult for me to just sit on my couch and tell Courtney that I felt sad. But this is the kind of things that we need to do We need to look back on our past and diagnose what we've been through so that we can then take the hard steps that we need to in order to progress. And for me, that means recognizing my emotions when I have them and opening up to other people. I don't know what it is for you, but step number one is to diagnose it. Step number two is to declare once we figure out how our past is affecting us, we need to declare that God is redeeming us and we need to declare God's truth over it. Your family may have taught you that you are invisible, but God teaches you that you are intimately known. Your family may have taught you that you don't matter, but Jesus teaches that you are worth dying for. Your family may have taught you that you are stupid, but God teaches you that you are made in the image of the creator of the universe. Your family may have taught you that you are unimportant, but Jesus declares that it is good that you exist. Your family may have taught you that you need to be perfect, but Jesus has shown that you have nothing left to prove. You may have been taught that you can never be wrong, but Jesus teaches that you are allowed to make mistakes and there is forgiveness for when you do. You may have been taught that you will never amount to anything, but Jesus teaches that you are a joy. You may have been taught that you are a burden, but Jesus believes that your needs are a delight. And you may have been taught that you are unlovable, but the truth of the gospel is that you are loved so much more than you could ever possibly imagine. We must be people who declare the truth of God over the hurts of our past. So we have to diagnose it, then we have to declare God's truth over it, and then lastly, we have to do the hard work of discipleship. You see, in this story in Exodus 32, when Israel built the golden calf and started worshiping it, What happens, the story goes on for a couple chapters, we're not gonna read all of it, but what happens isn't that God just goes, oh, it's all good and then nothing, um, and then requires nothing else from them. What happens in the rest of the book of Exodus is that God reaffirms his covenant to Israel and then God gives them a bunch of laws and rules for how they should live as his people. God is giving them these rules because God is teaching them that he is going to dwell with them and that requires from them a certain amount of obedience. And the same thing is true for us, that this process of working through the hurts of our past is not one where we declare it once and then it's over, but it takes perseverance, it takes grit, It takes trudging through the weeds of it day in and day out. But here's the thing, church. It is hard work, but it is worth it. Because the reward at the end of all of this is a deeper relationship with the God of the universe. And so it's worth the hard work of asking the questions to diagnose, And it's worth the hard work of discipleship day in and day out because at the end of all of it, we get God. And that's what matters most. So Hope, Jersey City, let's be people who are honest about the fact that we reflect our past. But let's be people who are hopeful in the fact that God redeems it. And let's be people who do the hard work to diagnose our problems, to declare God's truth, and to continue in the hard work of discipleship. Amen.